We've been working our way through Daniel, and we're going to look at chapter 9 tonight. And then I think we're going to take two big gulps and finish Daniel in the next two weeks, God willing. But Daniel chapter 9, we're going to read the whole chapter together. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Amid, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my faith face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebel, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his, in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because 
for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your ears and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of your righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have come, now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. <clears throat> Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. <clears throat> its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice an offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Amen. This is God's word. Let's turn to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we've uh, just read this prayer of confession, uh, we recognize as we uh, go on in the Christian life that often we can be more conscious of our sin uh, compared to how we felt at the start. And we have to admit, as we look back over this past week, there have been times when we have not lived in a way that has honored you. We've not lived up to 
what we've already achieved. Sometimes, Father, our progress in holiness can feel so slow. And yet, how we thank you tonight that in many ways this is a kind of strange encouragement to us. It is evidence that you are at work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are changing us. You are giving us even the desire to live in a way that pleases you, even when we make mistakes, even when we sin. And we thank you that you have begun in us a great work. You are transforming us into the likeness of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you one day will bring that great work to completion. And yet, as we sit before you tonight, we want to come and confess our ongoing need for your help, your restoration. You're the God who restores our souls, who is changing us, making us more like Jesus. And so tonight, you're the one before whom all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hidden. And so we come to you and we pray, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. Help us turn from our sins. Help us to do so that we might live in a way that brings glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that great invitation we heard this morning to come, all of us who labor and are heavy laden, to come to him for rest. We rejoice tonight that we have in Jesus a Savior who is gentle and lowly in heart. And we praise him this evening. We worship him together. Father, we want to pray for people and places and situations we know of and are concerned about and care about. We uh, remember tonight Craig and Amy Anderson. We thank you for them and their ministry in Gala Shields. We pray for this new church as it begins. We pray that you would encourage them and and bless their work. Father, we pray if there's frustrations or difficulties that you would help them to stay united, help them to love one another. Pray you'd bless their family. We pray that you would keep them close to yourself. We thank you for the support they have from uh, Baclue Free Church in Edinburgh. We thank you that you're able to uh, hold on to them. And so we pray for that work to, to flourish, to grow. Uh, that in that town there would be a strong and, and a vibrant church built by you. Father, we pray for Andy and Kyrene, we thank you for them, the Robertson family, as they serve you in Charleston. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their love for uh, the people around them. Thank you for the way their home is open to uh, people in that community. And we pray for Andy as he preaches your word each week. We ask that you'd help him and strengthen him. We remember uh, the, the greater need he has with Craig having moved on. Please sustain him. Please give encouragement to him. Thank you for all the work that they do with people struggling so deeply. I pray especially for their work with children. Thank you for that. And for uh, those here from St. Peter's who've been able to help recently. Lord, we commit that church into your hands and ask you to watch over it and look after it. And uh, may it be a real light 
in that community. Lord, we thank you for Ruth Mahood and for the encouraging uh, interview she had uh, recently and for the, the, the way in which you seem to be opening a, a door for her to return to Kenya. We pray for her as she looks ahead and she prepares for that, uh, that move as there are still a few steps she needs to, to take. We thank you for the privilege of partnering with her and uh, being able to pray for her and uh, joining in with her in that uh, exciting new chapter in her life. We commit her to you tonight. We recognize, Father, that Christmas, for all its uh, joys and fun, is so often such a lonely time for so many people. And so we pray for our uh, outreach, the opportunities we have to point people to your son. And we pray for some to come along to the services that we're running. People who live even just around this building to be prompted to, to enter this place and to hear your word and to have their view of Jesus changed. Be at work, we pray. Lord, we remember our world. We think of the way in which just this past week um, important leaders have been gathering together. Lord, we thank you that uh, you're the one who sits truly on the throne, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray for our leaders, for them to have humility and uh, to rule wisely. We pray against conflicts in our world. We think especially of Ukraine again tonight and ask you to watch over your people. We think of India where there is so often such intense opposition to uh, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, where there is abuse and harassment of your people. Father, we ask you to protect your children, to guard them, to, to soften the hearts of, of leaders who are so hostile to your grace. Father, we pray as we come to your word tonight that you would meet with us, you would speak to us, that you would tell us the things that we need to hear from you, that you would correct and train and rebuke and encourage us, for we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Well, before we come to God's Word, we're going to sing again Psalm 130, Scottish Psalter. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried, my voice, Lord, do thou hear. Unto my supplications voice, give an attentive ear. Let's stand and sing together.
Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you as we come to your word now that we, the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. We thank you that his love is as great as his power and knows neither measure or end. And so we pray, come and speak to us now. Come and address us and meet with us and feed us, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, tonight, I want us to learn how to pray empty prayers. Now, don't worry, I I know that sentence could get me in uh, some trouble. Andy's not here tonight, so it's okay. (laughs) Uh, It's deliberately provocative. Um, It doesn't sound like the kind of thing Christians should be doing, does it? Praying empty prayers. And yet when a prayer is described as uh, empty, what we mean is that it's not real, it's not uh, sincere. Jesus condemns that kind of prayer, doesn't he, in Matthew chapter 6. And yet the word empty can mean something else, can't it? Um, Someone's going through a terrible time at work and they're totally burnt out. What do they say? I'm running on empty. That's how God's people often feel, isn't it? They've got nothing left to give. And yet it's often only when we get to that point in our lives and we come to an absolute end of ourselves, that we finally talk seriously with God. We finally pray. I think in some ways that's what's happening in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel has come to an end of himself, and Daniel is calling out to God in prayer. This chapter, it's one of the great Old Testament prayers. It's up there with the prayers of Moses and Hannah and Solomon. It's a model prayer. It's like the Lord's Prayer. And it's a window into the prayer life of a godly man, a faithful man. We're listening in to his conversation. Excuse me. Oh, dear. My my throat is struggling tonight. Listening into his conversation. And what I want to do tonight is walk us through it. I want us to walk through it anatomically. Anatomically. As we see Daniel on his knees, as we see Daniel with perhaps his hands raised, notice first what is in his mind. What is in his mind? That's my first point tonight. What is in his mind? I think we find Daniel in these uh, opening verses. He's, he's pouring over the words of Jeremiah. Maybe you can see that. In the first year of the reign of Darius, that's how Uh, Verse 1 could be translated, Darius. Daniel has the words of God's prophet open in front of him. He's reading those words. He's reading them and he's thinking about them. Now, uh, meditation is a big thing in our culture, isn't it? It's kind of become quite trendy to say that you meditate. And what people often mean when they talk about meditation like that is emptying our minds. People long for a sense of calm, don't they? They long to be able to see things properly, and in many ways that's really understandable. But biblical meditation 
is different. We come to God empty. And what we need is God's word to, to fill us up. And I think we can um, overcomplicate this. What Daniel is doing here is he's really having a kind of personal devotional time, isn't he? And we often talk about Bible study. That's important. We've got groups midweek where we wrestle with God's word together. But Daniel is reading God's word on his own here. And that kind of reading, it can become a big source of guilt for lots of us, can't it? Um, I'm writing an article this week on um, evangelism and prayer. And I think evangelism and prayer and Bible reading, they are probably the three things that Christians feel most guilty about, aren't they? So you can pray for me as I write that article. And when we read God's word at the start of the day, we can think that unless we've really, really wrestled with it, then it's wrong for us to kind of move on with the day. But look at Daniel here. He's reading Jeremiah's words. He's thinking about them. He's perceiving something in them. And I think we can all do that. We can all read a Bible passage. We can think about that Bible passage, and then we can pray. It doesn't always have to be a lengthy thing. Now, uh, sometimes people um, think that centuries... John, is that for me? Thank you very much. That is very kind. That's a very servant-hearted thing. I actually have water here, but two are better than one. Great. Okay. Sometimes looking at this uh, passage, looking at Scripture... And we can think that it was only centuries after the Bible was written that people came to see it as God's word. Maybe you've heard that kind of thing before. Look how Daniel describes these words from Jeremiah. Daniel knows that what he's reading comes from God. It is his word. It was only written a few decades earlier. And yet what God said through Jeremiah is about to come to pass. And this was a sign that In the Old Testament, a prophet was genuine, really speaking from God. Uh, In Jeremiah 25 and 29, we have this kind of thing here. There would be 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Verse 1 of this chapter, it lets us know that that captivity is about to come to an end. There's been a change at the top. Darius is now in charge. That means the exile is about to end. So Daniel's prayer is is prompted by Scripture. Daniel talks to God after hearing from God, after reading God's Word. And this is what real prayer is like. Someone has called prayer answering God. Answering God. We pray because God first spoke to us. That's what he did in the gospel, isn't it? God started a conversation with us. God initiated it. And when human beings were hiding from God, when they were running from him, God called out to them, where are you? What have you done? God has told us the truth about himself. God has revealed himself to us. And all of our praying All of it is a response to him. It is a response to the fact that he is the one who has spoken first. So it's scripture 
that's on Daniel's mind. It kind of nudges him, pushes him to pray. But there's a second thing. As we watch Daniel here, as he is on his knees, as he's perhaps got his hands raised in prayer, notice the second thing. Notice what's on his lips. We often say, don't we, that actions speak louder than words. What someone does can matter more than what they say. But Daniel's actions in verse 3, they reflect the words that follow. He turns to face God. He seeks God in prayer. He pleads for mercy. He fasts. He wears sackcloth and ashes. These bodily actions that are an expression of what's going on inside him. And Daniel is a man who is just um, who has been a model of faithfulness. That's what we've seen in this book. Daniel has been a wonderful example to God's people. Daniel has been so faithful. And yet one of the reasons he is worth emulating is that in this chapter, in this prayer, what Daniel does is he takes, he takes spiritual responsibility for others, for himself. He's like Job, sacrificing an offering on behalf of his children. I think we see this in this prayer. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God. And yet look at the first word in verse 5. We, we have sinned. What we need to remember here is Daniel is talking about God's people. Daniel is not talking about the Babylonians. Daniel is talking about the church. He's looking at how God's people have behaved and he is confessing. The great theologian Elton John said, sorry seems to be the hardest word. So true, isn't it? So true with us, so true with others, with God. But here, Daniel, he leads God's people. He represents God's people. He prays a, a rich and a beautiful prayer of confession. We'll get into it more in a moment. But let me apply it before we do. Friends, there's been a huge uh, decline, hasn't there, in the spiritual state of the church in Scotland in the past decades. Uh, lots of people have commented on that, haven't they? They've noted that. We've got a really rich heritage in Scotland as uh, a nation. And I think the danger is that it makes... It makes those of us who still value God's word, it could make us a little bit proud. And yet I think a passage like this, this is the phrase I've had in my head this week, it should make us repenters in chief. Repenters in chief. I think there is a call here for, for all of us to be led by God in repentance because in this chapter Daniel is basically saying God you were right to send us into exile that's what you said you'd do if we kept on sinning verse 11 we haven't listened to you verse 6 
all of us are guilty from the greatest to the least. And look at how specific Daniel is. Look at the way Daniel itemizes the sins of God's people. In the Hebrew, verse 5, there are five different verbs used. Daniel gets specific. They're translated in our English language to sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned. And Daniel goes further. He's saying, we knew this would happen. We, we didn't listen. And even after you punished us, we still didn't repent. I think that's the meaning of the second half of verse 13. You sent us into exile. And yet we've not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. We haven't turned back. Now, I think in our human relationships, we appreciate specificity, don't we? We don't want vague apologies. We don't want someone to say sorry to us if they've wronged us because they feel bad about it or they, they want the atmosphere to change in the room. We want the person who has wronged us to spell it out, to be clear. That is when reconciliation is possible, isn't it? I'm sorry I didn't listen. I'm sorry I said that. I was wrong to think. I was wrong to do that. One of the things we do in our services, this is to give you a sneak behind the curtain of sermon and service preparation. Andy and I, I think we try to vary what we confess corporately together just a little bit. We try to specify different things we need to uh, repent of. It's easy to be very vague, isn't it? And I think those moments in a service where we're all sat here together, when we are confessing our sins together, we're receiving from God or being reminded of His grace again. I think they are some of my favorite moments. Because week after week, what we're doing is we're reminding one another of our need for God's grace. But I want to show you that in this prayer of repentance, there is, there is actually a lot to reassure us. Because in this uh, prayer, Daniel doesn't just have he doesn't just have words of confession on his lips, does he? In this prayer, Daniel is pleading God's promises. He's remembering God's character all the way through. Just look at how the prayer begins. In verse 4, he addresses God by name. He speaks to Yahweh. Look at how he describes him. He is the great, the awesome one. Daniel knows he's praying to the God of covenant, steadfast Love, we were faithless, but you were faithful. You're consistent. You did all the things you'd said you'd do. There, there's real language of contrast. Can you see that in verse 7 to 9? Look at the word belongs. In verse 8, Daniel says that to God belongs, to God's people belongs shame. But what belongs to God? Well, look at verse 7. To God belongs righteousness. Verse 9. To the Lord belongs mercy and forgiveness. To God belongs a wonderful track record of rescuing his people, bringing them up out of captivity, captivity like the exile. Daniel has the events of the Exodus on his lips in verse 15. 
And his whole plea to God is rooted in a knowledge of God's character, God's covenant. In verse 17, he, he, he asks God to turn his face towards them all again. He's asking God to be who God is. He's asking God to treat them the way God himself has treated them in the past. Don't, don't abandon us for the sake of your name. Do these things. Save us. Rescue us. Be with us. Now, I am a Presbyterian, but I love uh, the Book of Common Prayer. And it has a wonderful line that's uh, often used during communion services. Listen to this. We do not presume. We do not presume to come to this table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. That is the spirit of this prayer. As we come to God our Father, we look back to the cross. We look back to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask for his forgiveness on the basis of what Jesus has done. I think as Daniel teaches us to pray, he reminds us that we come to God empty. But God's word gives us words, words like this, patterns like this to pick up, to use, to borrow, to pray back to him. There's a third thing. In this chapter, we don't just see what's on Daniel's mind as we're looking at him, as we're watching him pray, as he's kneeling, as he has his hands in the air. We don't just see what's on his mind. We don't just hear what's on his lips. We hear, too, what's in his ears, what's in his ears. That's my final point tonight. Because from verse 20 to the end, we have God's answer. Notice the timing of that answer. The answer comes as soon as Daniel starts to pray. The moment he opens his mouth and confesses, Gabriel comes with God's answer. It's a wonderful encouragement, isn't it? At the beginning, a word was sent, verse 23. And there's a second aspect to this timing. Look at the time on the clock. Can you see that, verse 21? The time of, on the clock is the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, remember where Daniel is at this moment. He's in Babylon. He's away from Jerusalem. And yet, I think that little detail, it tells us something about Daniel. He is on Jerusalem time. He is on Jerusalem time. He is still remembering all these things, all these sacrifices and all this worship that he used to enjoy, he used to love. He used to be, part, he used to be such a part of his life. Some of you have maybe got family and friends who live um, overseas. When people do that, what do they do? They set a clock on their phone to remind them what the time is in Sydney or Seattle or wherever it is. And knowing what time it is in that country, it affects them. Daniel is similar. He's not forgotten about God. He's not forgotten about um, the way God works in this world, his services. So the timing. Look also, though, at the tenderness. Look at the tenderness of the answer. I think this is beautiful. Gabriel comes to this 
faithful man. And what does he choose to tell him? What does God want Daniel to know here? God wants Daniel to know this. You are greatly loved. That little phrase is going to be repeated in the chapter that follows. You are greatly loved. Friends, I think many of us, maybe tonight, maybe we're longing to hear that message from God too, aren't we? Maybe we've been Christians for a very long time. And yet maybe we struggle to believe that we are like Daniel here. We are greatly loved. The word means precious. You are precious to God your Father. This is how the Lord Jesus thinks of you tonight. And a few weeks ago, Chris reminded us something of this. We're gifts to God the Son from God the Father. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 10. No one can snatch us out of his hands. And when we know that, it gives our whole lives a sense of great dignity. We are greatly loved by God our Father. Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. It's a wonderful thing. Well, I could stop there. But I need to enter a minefield. Yeah, that's what someone has called verses 24 to 27, a minefield. Um, I've wondered what to do with these verses all week. Should I uh, take you through all the different permutations and theories that people have about them? Should I uh, spell out all the different possible interpretations that you make up? your own mind. I'm not going to do that because we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, instead, you can borrow my commentaries and give them back to me on Tuesday if you want. Instead, what I want to do is try and clarify the main ideas in these uh, verses, 24 to 27. I wonder, can you see the references to weeks here? 70 mentioned in verse 24, and then 7 in verse 25, and then 62 near the end of verse 25. Now, kids, what does that leave? What is 70 minus 7 minus 62? It's 1, isn't it? 1. That fits verse 27. So, seven, uh, 70 in total, and 7, 62, and 1. I was really helped uh, this week when someone um, showed me something in the text. It's really obvious. It's easy to miss. What you have here is a pretty short period, seven weeks. You have a, a much, much longer period, 62 weeks. And then you have a final, very short period, one week, seven, 62, and one. We'll come back to those weeks in a moment. Before we do, look at the time Look at, uh, think about this question. What is the hope here? If you had to kind of sum up uh, what's being talked about in verses 24 to 27, what, would, what word would you choose? I think the word we could choose is restoration. God is saying that one day, transgressions and iniquity, the kind of thing Daniel has just confessed, one day all of that will be dealt with. 
Can you see that this restoration, it seems to be about more than simply returning to the holy city, returning to Jerusalem. There's a promise here of God's word, of prophecy being sealed, of being done, of being accomplished. There's a promise here of everlasting righteousness. And I think that helps us understand all the weeks. If the the 70 represents the time from Gabriel's answer to the end of time, well, then the seven weeks represent a stable time. The 62 weeks represent a hard time. And the last week represents a terrible, a terrible final time. I think... This fits with what we see in the rest of the Bible. And think about what's happened since this vision. God's people have returned to the land. The temple has been rebuilt. There's been a time of stability. But what's happened next? There's been a great time of waiting. There's been the arrival of an anointed one. There's been the destruction of the temple in AD 70. There's been century after century. There's been 2,000 years of history. There's been so much opposition to God's people. Um, I read this uh, week in uh, one of the, the books that helped me with this sermon. Someone put it this way. We, we want a God with microwavable ways. We want a God who will work really, really, really quickly in our lives and in history. But God doesn't seem to work that way, does he? We've had uh, thousands of years of history since these events. And yet, even though that's the case, look, look at the certainty here. Daniel's told that even when, even at the end, when someone rises up to oppose God's people, even when he attacks their worship, even when he seems to have struck a decisive blow, or what does it say at the very end? the desolator will be destroyed. This figure, this person who will stand against God's people, he will experience, he himself will experience a crushing defeat. And so don't miss the other D word in verse 27. Can you see it? That word is in verse 24. And it's in verse 26 as well. Can you see it? All of this, everything I'm telling you, Daniel, in this answer, all of this has been decreed by someone. All of this has been decreed by God. We may have lots of questions about it. We may not know all the exact details. There may be a long, long wait for God's people before final restoration comes. There may be times when history feels out of control and random, but all these things have been decreed. Friends, there's massive reassurance for us here tonight. All of this has been decreed. God is working all of his purposes out. And this is the God tonight. This is the God whose ear we have. Well, let's pray together.
loving Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We come to acknowledge our need for your mercy. And yet we thank you so much for the wonderful reassurance your word gives us. You are the God who is so faithful. You're the God who listens. And we thank you for that and marvel at that tonight, that you would listen to us. You're the God who forgives. We thank you for that too. And we praise you that you are, you are so quick to speak words full of love to us, your people. And we thank you for that. And we pray all this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.